Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. He is risen. It's a common statement of absolute truth heard around the world every Easter Sunday. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth, died, and was resurrected. God is alive. But what if it wasn't true? What would it mean? People live every day of their lives as if God is dead, yet are still plagued with the same questions we all have. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? In the name of progress, modern man has tried to answer those questions apart from God. The answers that came back were not exhilarating, but dark and terrible. You were the accidental byproduct of nature. There is no reason for your existence. All you face is death. Modern man thought that in killing God, he had freed himself from everything that repressed and stifled him. Instead, he discovered that in killing God, he had unwittingly killed himself. For if God is not alive, man's life is ultimately absurd. If God is not alive, then man and the universe are inevitably doomed to death. Like all biological organisms, man must die. His life is but a spark in the infinite darkness, a spark that appears, flickers, and then dies forever. In this narrative, death wins. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is nothing but despair. God is dead, but with the resurrection, death is not the end. The resurrection screams, death is defeated. If Jesus is alive, then we are made to be alive. If Jesus is alive, then our choices here on earth carry an intrinsic value and an eternal significance. If Jesus is alive, then we can reject injustice and oppression. Our life is a spark. And rather than that spark dying, that spark can grow into a flame, burning brightly into eternity with our Creator. He is risen. These are the only words of hope in the world. Everything we do hinges on the reality of the risen Jesus. We know who we are, we know why we're here, and we know where we're going. If Jesus is alive, there is hope for the world. Let's celebrate the resurrection this morning, can we? Amen. Uh, so good. Hey, happy Easter, everybody. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, we want to give a shout out to everybody with us online. Can we thank them for being with us as well? If you're out of town or you're deployed, whatever it may be, we love you. We're glad you're part of our family. And then give it up for the people in the overflow also. We love you as well. Lobby people. You guys have better access to the coffee, so you're going to be okay. It's going to be just fine. Anyway, hey, we are excited about today. It's Resurrection Sunday, and we're going to talk about this reality that Jesus is risen. But before we get there, I want to invite you back next week. We're going to launch in to a new series of talks called God 
problems. And if you're anything like me, over the course of my life, I've had a lot of problems with God. Uh, Problems with faith, problems with the Bible, problems with the church. And so here's what I'd love you to do. We're going to put a a text number on the screen. And you can write this down. You can take a picture of it with your phone so you remember it later. But what I'd love for you to do is at some point this week, would you text us your God problem? Whatever it's been over the course of your life that has been a challenge to your faith and your belief in Jesus or in the, in the church, whatever it may be, uh, we'd love it if you would text us. It's totally anonymous. We're not going to track you down. Don't worry about that. But just text us your God problem. And in fact, um, it's been great over the past couple of weeks. We've gotten such great questions that it's totally reshaped where we're going for the next four weeks in our conversations. We really want to talk about what you want to talk about. And so there's been some great themes that have come out already. So we're really excited about that series. Come back next week uh, for that. But here we are. So this is, this is Easter Sunday. He is risen. And so there's this, this kind of responsive thing we do in the church where I say he is risen and you say, there it is. Let's do it together. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's easier to say than it is to actually live, is it not? We can say this and we celebrate it Easter Sunday, but to live a life of resurrection, that's a whole nother thing and a whole nother challenge for us as people. So as we start off this conversation this morning, I want to start with a simple question. And it's simply this, what does it mean to be a Christian? What, what, would it, what does it mean to be a Christian? What are the defining factors or what is the defining factor of Christianity? Now, interestingly enough, everybody in this room would answer this question differently. If I were to sit down with you, across from you, uh, a cup of coffee with you, we would talk about this, and you'd answer it differently than the person next to you. Maybe for you, you think back, and you're like, oh, uh, back in the day, being a Christian meant you had like the Jesus fish on your car, right? And you still cut people off in traffic anyway. Uh, maybe that is Christianity for you. Maybe uh, for, for you, Christianity means that you don't do certain things, right? You, you, don't, you don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang out with girls that do, right? Uh, you don't act certain ways. You don't cuss. There's certain things you don't do if you're a Christian. Maybe you have a Bible. You go to churches on Sunday. Um, You go to church on Easter. That means you're a Christian. Um, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe for some of you, it means that you voted for Trump, right? Um, Others of you, you think it means that you didn't vote for Trump, right? Depending on which side of the aisle you stand on today. We have so many assumptions and so many opinions about what Christianity is. But here's what I want to propose to you today, is that there's actually only one thing that it takes to be a Christian. There's actually one primary characteristic that that surrounds Christianity, and it's simply this. Listen, it's Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected. And when you believe in that, you know what that makes you? It makes you a Christian. It makes you a believer in Jesus. And all the other peripheral stuff, and for many of you, the other things that you've had problems with in your faith over the years, those things are not the primary thing. The primary thing is, what do you think? Is Jesus actually risen? Is there actually a resurrection to come? And in fact, this man Paul says to the early church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. He's making this point that we are sinners in need of grace. And if you're here today and resurrection isn't something that you really appreciate in your life, the beginning of appreciating resurrection is is understanding our sinful nature, understanding our brokenness and our need for a savior. And that is the launch pad to making Easter better than any other day of the year because you just, we stop and we celebrate that Christ has come for us. This should be the most humbling holiday that we ever experience is Easter. 
It's where we say that, that my sins are so broken and so bad that, that I can't fix them on my own. I actually need God himself to come to earth to rescue me. That's a really big deal. And so as we acknowledge that, the more that we know that, the more that we appreciate resurrection, the more that we trust that Jesus really is alive and believe in that. So that is so humbling. And this is a huge thing to understand about our lives is that without resurrection, there is no hope. As we just talked about in the video, there is no hope to be had if there is no resurrection. Or as Ernest Hemingway put it, he said it like this. He said, life is a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. And really, when you think about life, that's really all life is without a future hope. It is a journey from nothingness to nothingness. In the end, let's just have as much fun as we can where we are. Let's just kind of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, right? I mean, what else is there to live for? But if you've ever wondered why Christians have sort of this posture of hopefulness in a, in a world that seems to lack hope, it's because we believe in one thing. It's the resurrection of Jesus. That's it. And we believe that not only is Jesus resurrected, but we ourselves can be resurrected too. And that is, the, that is the beginning of hope in the world, and that's why we can have hope in this dark, dark season. If, if you want to open up a Bible to Luke chapter 24, you can follow along with me uh, this morning. I'm going to be in this text. This is the first moments after the resurrection, and the first people to encounter the resurrection um, on, on resurrection day. And so uh, follow along with me if you can. This is verse 1, Luke chapter 24 says this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. So who are they? These are three women who are going to the tomb of Jesus. They've got spices with them. And they're not like whipping up a meal. This isn't like Mrs. Dash, a little cayenne pepper, right? They, they're bringing, these are embalming spices for a dead body. So these women are going to the grave of Jesus, assuming that Jesus is doing what most dead people do, and that's staying in the tomb, Right? That they're bringing these embalming spices because they are going to look for a, a rotting, decaying body. That's what they're doing. Now, when we think of the resurrection story, I, I think many times we consider these women like they're, gonna, they're hopping, skipping down the road. Like, we're going to go see the resurrected Jesus. Yay! You know, and, and we think, oh, they, they were going to see that Jesus was alive. No, they weren't. They were bringing these spices because Jesus was dead. They are still stuck on Good Friday. They don't believe that he's actually been resurrected. And so they go to the tomb, and the text says, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So, so that's good news, right? Now here's kind of a side note. The, the stone was rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that they could get in. It's important to know that the stone was rolled away to let these ladies in. It's not like God was like, we can do resurrection, but that stone's really heavy. So we're going to get that out of the way to get you out of this tomb. No, this is so that these women could see with their eyes that their son, their friend, their family member was resurrected from the dead. Verse 4 says this, while they were perplexed about this. Now don't miss what's going on here. These women are confused. They, they didn't see that the stone was rolled away and Jesus wasn't in there and go, he's alive, he is risen. No, they're like, something wrong here, right? This isn't what we expected. We've got these spices. He's supposed to be dead like we thought he was gonna be. Isn't it interesting that life sort of has a way of making us skeptical? Doesn't life have sort of a way of making us uh, disbelieve things that seem sort of unbelievable? 
And let's just be honest on this Easter Sunday morning that it's a little unbelievable, this idea of a resurrected person, that somebody dies and actually comes back to life. And these women are struggling to believe. A few weeks ago, my oldest daughter, Cadence, she's 11 years old. Uh, She came downstairs. My wife and I were sitting on the couch. And she's like, Mom and Dad, Avery did something to me. Avery's her younger sister. And, and we're like, okay, what did Avery do? Did she like, you know, steal some of your candy or, you know, push you or something? And she's like, no, no, no. Avery put bunny poop in my mouth. <laughs> I, was, I was like, what? You know, like as a parent, sometimes you're just like, what? Like, where, how do you know where to begin? There's so many questions that pop into your... If you know anything about the cookhouse, by the way, there's nothing that brings as much drama as this little furry creature that we've given to our children, um, this little bunny in our home. So anyway, we're just like, what, what, what happened? Like, why was bunny poop in your mouth, right? And she goes, well, uh, I was upstairs with her in the bedroom, and, and Avery said, lay down on the bed. And so I laid down on the bed. And then Avery said, open your mouth and close your eyes, and I'm going to give you a big (laughs) surprise. That's right. And she did it. And I'm like, you're 11. You should know. She's never going to trust her little sister ever again. That's what these moments do, right? This is the breaking of the relationship. If you have an older sister, anybody with older sisters, you know how this goes. Yeah. So anyway, I think about how we have these moments in life that cause us to lack trust and to be skeptical, right? And some of us need a little more skepticism, like my oldest apparently needs a little more skepticism. But isn't there a point where skepticism actually keeps us from good things? Isn't there a point where we we disbelieve to the point that we miss out on what is actually in front of us? It says they were perplexed about this, confused about what they saw, that there was no Jesus in the tomb. It says, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. That means uh, clothing like lightning. These are angels. And it says in verse 5, as they were, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, which is what people do in the Bible when they encounter angels. It's what you and I would do. We'd be freaked out, scared. It's, the man said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? That's a good question, isn't it? Essentially, the question goes like this. If Jesus isn't alive, what are you doing here? What's the point of anything? Why are you trying to take care of a dead body? What's the point of all this? Why do you seek the living among the dead? And I would ask you the same question here today, Easter morning. If Jesus isn't alive, what's the point of any of this? Why aren't we just at home, barbecuing on the back porch, doing our thing? Why are we here today if Jesus is not alive? Where is hope if Jesus is not alive? He's saying, why do you seek the living? Why do you seek what is good and living among the dead in a grave? Verse 6, good news, he is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you? In other words, like, come on, jog the memory. Jesus had talked about this. This wasn't like a passing statement. It wasn't like one night as they were saying bye to each other, Jesus was like, oh, by the way, I'm going to rise from the dead. You know, like, and Jesus would talk about the fact that he was coming to die for the sins of the world. He'd made it so clear that he was the fulfillment of all of the prophecy of this Messiah that would come. It says, says, says that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise, and I love this, verse 8, and they remembered his words. This is the point that these women remember. Now they remember. Isn't this interesting that when they saw the empty tomb, they didn't remember? They weren't like, oh yeah, I remember Jesus said he was going to rise from the grave. He did it. He's risen. 
Like, no, they still were confused. They were still skeptical. They were still perplexed. It wasn't until this angel reminded them of everything Jesus had said that then they remembered. Once again, I think sometimes we see these characters in Scripture and we're like, oh man, they're so holy. They all, you know, remember, believe in Jesus immediately. No, they don't. They're skeptical just like you and me. And they lack belief in the beginning, just like many of us do. You wonder, like, why didn't they remember? Why is it that they're, they had to work so hard to jog their memory? I think it's simply this. Sometimes what's real doesn't seem rational. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you're looking at something and you're like, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute with how I see the world or what I believe. And these women are face-to-face with the resurrection of Jesus. They are face-to-face with what is real, but it doesn't seem rational. It brings up confusion in their lives. And this is how it is when belief collides with an unbelievable moment, we get confusion. We get fog, right? You ever, you ever driven through the fog, been in the fog? It's like, this doesn't make sense. And so I'm going to bring us back to like fifth grade science class. We're going to do something here. See how this goes. We'll make some, some fog. Okay, so that's working out well. So I'd say this is a lot like most of our spiritual lives, right? Does this define what you think of when you think of Christianity. For a lot of people, it's a lot of fog. It's like, I don't know, maybe they believe this or maybe this is what it means to, to, to be a Christian. But for many of us, it's not at all what it means to be a Christian. For you, maybe when you think of praying, you're like, I've been praying to God, but it seems like he's not speaking to me. Or as I look in the world, I see that it's broken and, and, and there's so much going on, so much pain, and it creates fog in my life. I want to believe in God, But what about pain? And what about the scriptures? Can we trust the scriptures? Can we trust the Bible? And what about Christians? I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by Christians. And and as we look at all of this, and then there's the resurrection. This moment that seems so unbelievable. Can we really put our hope and our faith in this man who came and, and is said to have been resurrected from the dead? Can we really believe this? Here's the promise that God makes to us, is that we don't have to live in the fog. That he actually wants the fog to lift. In fact, we see this in 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 12 says, We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog. Does that describe your spiritual life? Squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, just as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. Do you look forward to that? Do you look forward to that clarity that's coming that God wants to get us out of this spiritual fog? He wants to bring clarity, but, but for so many of us, this describes our lives right now. Just so much confusion. Just as it is, is the way to describe the first people who encountered the resurrection of Jesus. So let's skip ahead to verse 30. The, the story continues. Jesus starts appearing all over the community. First to Peter, which I love. Peter, the one who denied Christ. He goes to Peter first. He thinks, who needs to see me? Who needs grace the most this morning? Peter does. He's probably feeling pretty terrible about himself. So he goes to Peter and he shows himself to Peter. You know, he wants to say, hey, we're okay, we're good, and show his love to Peter. Then he starts showing up around town and rumors are starting to spread that Jesus is being seen around the community. And where we find ourselves in the story is that these two disciples are walking down the road to a village named Emmaus. 
And, and as they're walking down the road, they're arguing about the scriptures, arguing about the prophecies, arguing about Jesus and what's to come. I'm sure they're scared, wondering what's going to happen to them in this next season now that their, their rabbi has been crucified. And then all of a sudden, what does Jesus do? He just like comes up beside them like, hey guys, starts walking with them and they don't recognize him at all. There's something about this resurrected body that Jesus has that they don't even know that it's him. And he just kind of like, he's like that friend that wasn't invited that just shows up to the conversation. And, and, and as they're walking down the road with this random man, this man starts explaining all of the prophecies and all of the scriptures and how Jesus was the fulfillment of all that they had hoped for in the Messiah. So they're like, man, this guy, I don't know who he is, but he knows his Bible pretty well, right? And so they're enjoying their conversation, and they get to, to this town, and they, and they invite him in. They say, hey, let's, let's, let's stay together tonight. Let's uh, get a meal together and hang out. And it says this in Luke 24, verse 30. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? What a cool moment, right? So they've been with this man, and they don't know that he's Jesus, but then in this one moment, their eyes are opened. You see, just a few days earlier, they had been in a different room together, in what we call the, the upper room. All the disciples and Jesus, and Jesus, they were having a meal together. It's a meal that we call communion today, or the Last Supper, but for them, it was just supper, right? They're just eating together, not knowing what was to come. And then Jesus, at this meal, he brought out some bread. And he said, hey guys, this is my body. And then he brought out the, the wine and he said, this, this is the wine of the new covenant that I bring to the world. And he says, every time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do this in remembrance of me, right? Isn't it amazing that in the moment, they didn't, they didn't recognize Jesus all through all the prophecies, all through everything that he explained. It wasn't until Jesus broke the bread that they remembered him. And it all came back to mind. And then they, Jesus disappears. We don't know what, he just like, poof, right? I did my job, I'm out of here, right? And he's gone and they go, did not our hearts burn within us? In other words, how did we miss it? How could we have missed it? How did we not know that, first of all, that this is how it was all supposed to go down? And how did we not know that this man who was right next to us was Jesus himself? And listen, church, I, I don't want you someday to, to stand before God and think to yourself, how did I miss it? Like, thinking back to Easter 2018 in Eagle River, Alaska, you were here and you heard the stories, and you heard that Jesus is alive and that his resurrection can be your resurrection, you know the truth. It's in you. Will you remember it and receive it? And these guys are going, how could we have missed it? Were not our hearts burning with us while he talked with us and explained the scriptures to us? And the story continues. Now, now we're in another room. All of his disciples are scared and, and sitting in this room together trying to talk about what's next for them. How to really pro probably protect themselves so they don't get crucified like Jesus was. Verse 36, it says, As they were talking about these things, once again, Jesus himself stood among them, walked through a wall, just shows up in a room. Hey, guys, peace to you, he says. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Once again, they disbelieve, right? 
They're not like, hey, it's Jesus, good news, we're going to be okay. No, they're like, we are hallucinating, we ate some bad chicken, like, I don't know what, something's going on, but this cannot be, this is like some kind of apparition or ghost. And it says in verse 41, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? I love that. Jesus is like, I'm really worn out from being resurrected and all. I need some calories in my system, right? No, he's trying to show them that he's not some kind of imaginary being. He is actually a man. He actually has a resurrected body. He is Jesus in the flesh. Have you anything to eat? Now, I love that they say this. It says that they disbelieved for joy. Now, what does that mean, to disbelieve for joy? I think it really means that it was too good to be true, but it is. Have you ever been encountered with something like that? That's just, it's just too good to be true, but it actually is. And isn't that what resurrection is? Isn't it too good to be true? Isn't it too good to be true that everything that you've done, everything that you've been through, everything that you've struggled with in your life can be wiped clean by God himself as the highest authority in the universe in a moment? Too good to be true, right? Isn't it too good to be true that all of the sickness and brokenness that we see in our families and in our children and in our parents and in the world around us will be one day healed and made right? It's too good to be true. Isn't it too good to be true that God could heal your marriage, that he could heal your relationship with your friend? Isn't it too good to be true that you could actually be free from guilt and from shame for the rest of your life? It's too good to be true. And I think these disciples encountered Jesus and all they could think is this is just too good to be true. But what we read in the text is that they disbelieved for joy. They didn't just disbelieve. You see, some of us, we're here and we're just disbelieving. We look at the resurrection and we're like, I just, I can't believe it. All I see is fog. It just, it's confusing. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. I would say this. I would say there's two kinds of people today that I want to talk about. And the first kinds of per, kind of person, I would say, has, has a little bit of doubt or has a little bit of belief in their doubts. In other words, your faith is characterized mostly by doubt. And maybe, you know, you go to church occasionally and you think, well, it's Easter, I should go to church. You thought, well, I've got some kids, they should hear these Jesus stories, so I'll check them into the kids' church and make sure they know and have some answers Maybe you've got like a Bible in your house somewhere, right? And you're like, well, I can't throw it away. I don't know what happens to people who throw Bibles away. So it's like, it's in my house and I don't know what to do with it, but it's sitting around, it's in a box somewhere. Maybe, you know, you, you have some spiritual conversation sometime. Maybe, maybe you grew up in the church. You went to church every Sunday and you got so burned out with it, but there's still this like spark of faith within you. There's still some kind of seed there that, that has not really taken root yet. But yet there's something in you that has a little bit of faith, but for the most part, your faith is characterized by doubt. This is the person who looks at the resurrection and says, I can't believe it, so I won't. I can't believe it, so it can't be true. I, I'm, I, maybe, maybe there's some truth here, but I'm not going to bet my life on this fact. So that's person number one. Person number two, I would say, is somebody who has a little bit of doubt in their belief. This is the next step that you can take. This is, this is, I would say, everyone here who would call themselves a Christian has some doubt. 
but they have belief, right? This person's faith is characterized mostly by belief, but there is some doubt, right? This person has a Bible. They know where it is. They're reading it occasionally, trying to learn a little bit more about it. Maybe they're plugged into a local church and they're trying to grow with other people. They're asking hard questions. They're dealing with their God problems. And although they don't have the answers to all of these theological issues, they're actually seeking out the truth, but they know one thing that they're going to stake their, their life on, and that's simply this, Jesus Christ buried and resurrected, and that his resurrection is my resurrection. That's it. Maybe this person simply says, I can't believe it, but I will. This is the person that disbelieves for joy. And here's what I want you to catch is that all of these disciples, they had walked with Jesus for years. They had heard the stories, but you know what happened in this room when they disbelieved for joy? They went from disbelieving to disbelieving for joy. They became believers. <laughs> this is when the disciples became believers. You can be in the church your whole life and never believe this with your heart. You can, you can hear all the stories. You can read the scriptures and have them memorized, but never truly allow the resurrection to change your life. And know that you've never truly believed this. And so what is your next step? What will you do with the fog in your life? Because God promises that if you want to believe, if you're ready to believe, he will show himself to you. He will help you to remember. He will help you to make sense of all of this. I want to close out with this. We, uh, we moved up uh, to Alaska from Colorado. We lived in uh, Grand Junction, Colorado. And and uh, one wintry, cold day, we were driving from Grand Junction to Denver, going down the I-70 corridor, which you know, like, that's a terrible road if you've ever been there um, in the wintertime. And we're driving through Aspen area, uh, Vale area, and the fog just started getting really thick. The snow started coming down. We couldn't see, and so we decided we got to pull over. Uh, which is what most people do, were doing. Most people were pulled over on the side of the road, just red lights as far as the eye could see. You just couldn't go anywhere. There was just so much fog. And we just sat there in the fog for hours. And then after a while, the fog started lifting and the weather started clearing, but nobody was going anywhere. And we had this conversation in the car, which was simply this, when do we get on the road? Like, at what point do we kind of start the car and get back out on the road and we head to our destination? And so at, at, at one point, we just, we looked out and we had maybe a mile worth of visibility. It wasn't perfectly clear, but we could see far enough that we knew we'd be safe to go. So we got on the road and we went to our destination. Now here's my, here's my question for you. Can you see far enough that you're ready to take a step to say, I will stake my life on the resurrection? What I'm not asking you is, are you 100%? Have you removed all doubt? Are there no questions in your mind because then you can be a Christian? Well, here's the deal. If you've got doubts and questions, you are in good company because we all have doubts and questions, yet some of us have taken the step to, to choose, to, although we have some doubt, to choose belief, to put our life and stake our life on the resurrection of Jesus, to be faithful. Because here's what I know for you today. If you're on the fence with, with Jesus, with the resurrection, I want you to know this, there is no fence. There's no fence to be on. Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says this, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So what I want you to know is that you can't kind of sit on the fence like, oh, I don't know, I kind of believe in the resurrection as a historical event. Do you know that that doesn't mean anything? The resurrection is not just a historical event, it's a personal event. 
It's intended to change your heart and change my heart. And that's the moment that you step from darkness to light, that you receive Jesus, and I would call that the moment of salvation, that you say, I believe that it more than just happened, but that resurrection happened to me. So that's our heart today, that Jesus is truly alive. And what I want to challenge you to do is if your heart is burning within you, and maybe you've got that feeling like, man, is my heart burning within me? That you grab one of these cards on the seat that just says, I choose life in Christ. And fill it out and drop it in the offering as it passed by. It's just a way of letting us know that you've taken a next step in your faith so we can be praying for you and encouraging you in any way that we can do that. Would you take a next step? Would you believe it? This is the moment that this question of he is risen becomes a statement. It's a moment that we remove the question mark and we stake our life on this fact that Jesus is risen. He is risen. Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you meet us right where we are. Right in the fog, and I would say that all of us have some fog in our lives and some confusion when it comes to you and faith things. Um, I would imagine that there's probably people in this room who feel like they're not worthy and not ready to receive from you. God, I just thank you that that's right where you want us to meet you. That's right where you come to us. Not when we're cleaned up, not when we understand it all, but God, right in our mess, that's where you meet us. So God, I pray that we could sit where we are and receive love from the Father. I'd imagine there's someone here who has never received that kind of unconditional love, who's always had to earn it in some way or another. Thank you that, Jesus, you have already paid the price that was ours. You've already taken the bill that was ours. You've already taken the cost that was ours, and you took it upon yourself, and you bled for it, and you died for it. And in that, God, you have made us right. So, God, we receive your grace. We receive your love. And God, we want to step into new life because Jesus is truly risen. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.